0: Hello and welcome. I'm Harriet Minter and it's a truth universally acknowledged that to be considered creative at school, all you have to do was roll up your skirt and throw a bit of paint on your school jumper. And I want to know when that stopped being the criteria, goddammit. You're listening to the podcast for anyone who thinks their life could be enhanced if only they could find that creative streak they had when explaining to their parents just why their bed wasn't slept in last night. A few months ago, I had a mini, small also petite midlife crisis and decided to write a novel for and about women and then told to myself accountable with writing this novel I decided to start a podcast and this is it I interview some brilliant authors who've been there and done it and get to talk to them about the process This week, I'm talking to the wonderful Adele Parks. Adele has written over 20 novels. I first interviewed her a few years ago, and she was really the first writer who made me realise this could be an actual career. The writing wasn't necessarily something you had to do on the side of everything else. You could just be a writer, and that's it, without the need for a slash or a hyphen. We talk about the fear of creating and why it's part of the process. She reveals her awesome method for getting a book done, and we have a good giggle about the joy of torturing your characters. There's something deeply reassuring about Adele's approach to the creative process and to the fears it can bring up. I left our talk feeling immensely comforted, and I hope you do too. Adele is coming up in a minute, but first, it's time for a writing check-in. If you're new to the podcast, each week starts with me giving you an update on how my novel writing is going, or sometimes not. It's mainly for my own accountability, but as payback, I promise I will give you a creative confidence exercise at the end of the podcast for us all to do in the week ahead. Um, First up though, the book. I had a really lovely picture of being creative in my head, and to be honest, it involved a lot of time wafting around in caftans and drinking martinis at 10am. Sadly, it turns out that writing a book requires more graft than that. Um, so this week, I'm proud to say I actually did a lot of work on the book. Now, it helped that I've been in Devon on a writer's retreat with no Wi-Fi and no signal, unless you hike 20 minutes up a hill, which I didn't. And it turns out when there's nothing to do other than write or look at cows, I can find the time to write. So I made a massive dent in my word count, over 15,000 words, which now feels like it's actually part of the way there. The bad news is it's really thrown up how easily distracted I am and how much time I waste on the Internet and how I'm now really worried that I'm not going to have the discipline required to get back to it in the land of broadband. One of the things I've been thinking about this week is how easy it is for me to brand myself as lazy. I'm definitely easily distracted and definitely a bit of a magpie when it comes to ideas. I've never seen a shiny thing I didn't like, but I'm very quick to label this as laziness and beat myself up for it. In fact, I think it's not laziness. I think it might be the other way around. I think it might be an addiction to busyness because... When I had last week lazing around in a beautiful farmhouse, all my meals sorted, nothing to do but sleep, walk and write, I got a lot done, which is making me feel that I need the time to be lazy in my real life too, to make some space for it. This approach is something that Adele actually talks about in our interview. I've always held her up as the epitome of efficient writing, but you'll hear how she likes to take her time too that finding the space to be inspired before putting pen to paper is the most important part of the process for her. It seems sometimes taking your time really does pay off. Here she is. So I am joined on this week's episode by one of my favourite authors and also one of the kind of two or three authors that I've met in the past few years who actually convinced me that being an author was a thing that people could do and not just people convinced me the thing that I could possibly do it is the amazing and prolific Adele Parks. Hello Adele. Hello Harriet so lovely to be here. (laughs) So nice to have you. I'm so thrilled that you agreed to do this because I've actually now interviewed you gosh what three or four times I think. Yes yeah I think so. And every time I interview Adele I get so excited because you have the writing process of my dreams. So for anyone who doesn't know, Adele has written how many books now? 22? Uh, 22,
1: yeah. So I'm uh, 21 are published. I have written my 22nd, which will come out next year. And yeah, I'm just starting book 23.
0: Amazing. So can we talk about, for anyone who doesn't know, your brilliant, brilliant writing process and how it works for you throughout the year?
1: it hasn't always been this fixed I'm going to kind of reel it off and intimidate people which is really not my intention it's actually the opposite Um, but over the years it it has solidified and I've worked out what does and doesn't work for me but can I first caveat is it works differently for everybody but how it works for me sort of in August and September I'll start thinking up ideas so say now I'm thinking about book 23 during August and September I've had a number of ideas I would say probably four serious ideas maybe 10 ideas but four serious ideas and by serious I think oh I don't know that that book's been written I think it'd be something that could keep my attention for a year let's see what happens so in August and September I literally interrogate myself with these four plots and kind of say you know but what happens next And what happens next? And what happens next? Because I think one of the sort of pitfalls that people fall into when they're starting to write is they get a great idea and they can imagine that opening chapter. They can imagine a character quite often, but they haven't really sealed the deal with the plot. And they kind of know what the themes are going to be and they feel they want to investigate during the course of writing the book. And you know what? For some, that absolutely works. For me, not so much. So um, in uh, August and September, I will demand what next, what next, what next. And honestly, that will shake it down. Because my four, what I thought were utterly brilliant, stupendous ideas that I've been showing off about and telling people I have so many ideas, will very quickly flake down to one if I'm lucky. Or if I'm really not lucky, I'm sort of scrubbling around thinking, well, there must be something. And then I start committing it to paper. And my first piece of paper is a spidergram and I will put my, it's always for me, a female lead. There's quite often a joint lead. It could be two women. It could be a woman and her partner or her nemesis. But generally speaking, there's a woman right at the center. Some some tough, amazing woman who I'm going to torture emotionally or um, some... <laughs> some slightly vulnerable woman who's going to grow and um, and I'm going to be so proud of by the end of. But, you know, there is a woman at the centre. So I put her at the centre of my spidergram and put the other characters around her and start to write out little, little thoughts about what are the seminal scenes between these characters? What's important? What will move my plot on? Then after that, I will write a rough sort of line by line, chapter by chapter. I think there'll be... 30 sometimes there's 50 chapters depends if I do sort of short snappy chapters which are very good in psychological thrillers which I write and sometimes if I write more sort of relationship books there might be fewer chapters because you might be sort of getting a little bit deeper into the psychology of the character rather than the, the action plot but there will be between 30 and 50 chapters and I will write out just one line for each of those chapters so far, so scary, Ooh, right? Oh no, this is great.
0: I love that. I'm like making notes. I'm like, when this interview finishes, I will do.
1: It sounds so prescriptive, but it really isn't because in all of that, there is so much creativity and there's so much fun to be had because you each line you write, you think, well, at this point, this or this could happen, which is it going to be? <laughs> so you get a little bit of fun with that. um and that will kind of bring me to the end of September, maybe mid October. Then for the rest of October, I will start interviewing my characters. Now, this really is a big <laughs> share because I feel this is my, this is my strength and I, I'm, I'm very willing to pass it secret on to... Secret source. Yeah, but I'm very willing to make it less secret and let everyone have some fun <laughs> with it because I genuinely believe it works. So I have interview questions that I've used over a period of years that I ask my main three or possibly four characters in the book, which I've already established because I've written out a plot outline. And those questions, obviously, they start with the basics. They start with gender and um, relationship status and whether you have children, whether you don't age, what's your career, all that kind of thing. But that's, that's not character. That's like, you know, personal profile. Then I start digging quite deeply with my characters and I ask them what's their first memory? Um, Do they remember their childhood bed? What was the duvet cover like? Um, I ask them what's their favourite item in their wardrobe? Which sibling do they prefer? What's the lie they are still most terrified they will be discovered, you know, that that will be discovered about them? um what's what was their first kiss like does she suffer from PMT I want to know everything about this girl the way I might get to know my my friends you know that's really important as the process not that all those facts will end up in a book it'd be quite a weird book if all of those things ended up in it but what does happen is if I ever get to the stage where I kind of am wobbling and think not really sure I know they're supposed to be a fight between these two characters and a reveal of this particular part of the plot in this in this chapter. I know that mm-hmm. because I have my spidergram and I have my plot plan. How do I get these two characters to interact with each other? And I think, ah, she just she you know. There's I go back to those notes and there's something like. Is it the secret? Is it the fact she's feeling narky because she's got PMT, or is she furious because this person hasn't bothered to discover about her first kiss, or whatever it might be? It might just give me the the spur to talk through their interaction, and that is kind of my secret weapon. So that will bring me all that plotting and planning will kind of bring me to late November by about this point, by which time. I am unbearable to live with. I'm really miserable. I don't like my family. I don't like pretty much anybody, actually. It's not a great time to be around me because I am desperate to write. And that is another secret. People sort of start writing, perhaps before they're sure of what they want to say or they're ready to write. And I see it a lot. And it works great. But I see it a lot where a writer will be on social media one day and say, hey, I finished my book. And within a week they go, hey, I've started a new book. And I think you will burn out at some point. You will be exhausted <laughs> and you will be frail and fraught and vulnerable, which actually still could be great copy. So there's no problem with it. But my view is I need to be itching to write that novel. And why I say I'm miserable with my family is I am actually quite miserable when I'm not writing. Writing is very soothing for me. It's very positive for me, even the challenges, even when I'm not quite getting it right. Those are the happiest moments of my life. Being alone with my thoughts are the best part of this job. And I love it. So it's a bit like those people that really, really love going to the gym and they start missing the gym and climbing the walls if they can't get to the gym. I'm like that if I can't write. So by the time I hit the ground running, I find that the first 20,000 words are done before Christmas. And then I can have a great Christmas because I go I've got a chunk of it now. Yeah. Then do you want more? Do you want yes. this entire process? Let's okay. go for it. So in then January to June, a thousand to two thousand words a day gets that book written. It's as simple as that after Amazing. that, January to June. You I keep editing as I go along. I'd strongly recommend that. I don't have one draft pin it. A second draft, pin it, third draft, pin it. I don't do that. I probably have 50 drafts before my editor ever sees it um, because I am ruthless with myself. I take, if I cut things, I just stick it in another file and think, it's there. You haven't lost it. It's there if you want it. Those words are there. I've never once in 23 years gone back to my cut it file, which I think is really telling. And I'm very easy to edit after that. My editors always say, I've had three in my lifetime. And they've all said, I feel a bit of a fraud being called your editor because I don't actually have to cut or add much. (laughs) What they do is publish me brilliantly um, and do all the other bits about being a writer. Yeah. But that's the process. So a lot is in the prep, actually. A lot's in the
0: prep. Well, I love that when you said that actually there's that period of interrogating the plot, like what if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? How many... What ifs do you need to be able to answer to know you've got a strong, strong idea? I need to get to the end of the plot.
1: I need to know how that book finishes. That's me. Honestly, you would have other authors on this show that are incredibly successful and have sold, you know, phenomenal amounts of books. And they'll say to you, no, actually, I don't know what happens at the end when I start the book. I, I find out sometimes the day before I write the end. And that's absolutely equally valid because that's the joy of what we do, Harriet, that it is just kind of a bit of magic. But for me, I think twice in my 23 novels, I haven't known the end or thought, oh, it could go either way. And I think I could tell throughout the process, I felt much less settled in the process. And I found the end a bigger struggle So for me, I interrogate right to the end. And in my head, it sort of is already falling into three acts, a sort of build, oh, there's the first problem. How are they solving it? There's the second problem. Okay, what's going to happen in the final act? That sort of falls into place for me during this interrogation. Love
0: that. Obviously, you are a full-time writer. This is your job. You do it the whole time. Can you take us back to that first book, when you weren't a full-time writer, when you were like, I've got an idea, I think I can make it work. How did you fit that around life at that point? Yeah, I had um, a big life at that point because I
1: was, you know, sort of, so late 20s, very exciting time in people's lives and uh, newly married, new flat. I worked as uh, in an advertising department of a management consulting company and I looked after um, the the company being um, Accenture, which is The biggest, at that point, and I think now still, the the biggest management consultancy in the world. And I looked after the advertising for Europe, Middle East, Africa and India. So a big job and a scary job. The kind of job that woke me up at four in the morning on a regular basis where I think, oh, no, I have not sent that email. Or there is a typo in the advert. I I don't want to go on. Life is over. All that kind of thing. Um, My boss was in the States, so there was a lot of traveling. Obviously, looking after all those markets, there was a lot of traveling. And I was quite frazzled and stretched, but I was also... I'm not going to pretend it was awful, even though at times it felt awful. I will also say it was exhilarating and brilliant and amazing. (laughs) But also, there was quite a lot going on in my personal life, my family life, that we had um, a number of losses, a number of deaths, in my late 20s in our family. And um, and that changed things a lot because that, that made me sort of unsteady on my feet and vulnerable. And I think we're really good at talking about vulnerability and mental health and that sort of thing now, but we were not in those days. It was kind of, you are going into work, strap on a smile, Deal with the stress, and where in the back of my head I would think, "Life's too short." I'm not really, I don't really care if it's a, it's a Pantone, which Pantone reference for this, this yeah. lettering, you know, that sort of thing. So I that had that sort of dichotomy going on with what was I feeling emotionally, what was I feeling professionally, all that sort of thing. So I started playing away my first novel as a level of escapism and a switch off because I was a big reader and I had always kind of scribbled notes and wanted to be a writer when I was very young you know much younger than that as a child I'd want to be a writer so I started sort of scribbling these notes and then mostly on airplanes mostly in the uh, hotels and the kind of things where I used to kind of make myself go down and chat to colleagues but it wasn't really necessary I think no I don't need to do that anymore I (laughs) I, you know I'm I kind of got into the stage of thinking I'm old enough to make my own choices now and I don't have I'm good at my job I don't have to do all the other bits to kind of please everybody all the time I can please myself a bit so I started writing Playing Away and it took two years full-time work and, and writing it in the evenings and I used to write about Nine hours a week, and then maybe at the weekends, another five hours. I had to stop watching soap operas and stop (laughs) ironing clothes, which can I tell you means it was a great loss. And it's really interesting because you do have to identify how you will claw back that time. I suspect now, if I was starting to write, I would have to say to myself, Oh, I need to come off social media yeah. where I, I swallow hours to social media all the time. I love my social media. I love my readers getting in touch with me. I absolutely love it. So I swallow about two hours a day, I guess, to social media, just seeing what other people are up to and sending smiley faces. So I guess if I was starting now, I would say dump the social media and I would start writing and taking myself seriously. And that's what I did. I started believing it was important for me to write And as I mentioned earlier, because writing makes me feel so comfortable and complete and hopeful, it was the perfect thing to do when I was dealing with grief and dealing with stress of a job and a a new marriage and a new apartment and a new way of of life. It was really, really important. So on the eve of my 30th birthday, I delivered this manuscript to somebody, um, to my agent, Jenny Geller at Curtis Brown, and I'd never met him and I had just read about him in the back of other people's books in sort of thank yous and just thought, oh, he'll do. That'd be great. And I sort of researched him a bit on uh, in the Writers <laughs> and Artists yearbook. I'd done a bit of that. Yeah. I wasn't particularly informed, I don't think, looking back. It was nearly a year where I kept both things going. I had my contract. I had my contract and I knew I was going to be a full-time writer. But I wasn't quite ready to let go of my team or my company. And I, I didn't realize at that time what a full-time writer would be because actually the, the writing part, for me, I'd already proven I could do that and keep a full-time job. What I didn't appreciate is the sort of marketing and the decisions and the meeting the retailers and all of those things take up quite a chunk of time. And certainly, luckily, the more successful I've got, the more time that takes up. In fact, writing is now 40% of my job. Wow. Probably the last time I talked to you, I bet I said 50%. And now I would say it's 40% of my job. It's just becoming, because I suppose more global markets and that sort of thing. So I sort of do more of this, but in many markets. And the promotion has become so so much bigger, which is fine because that was my first job. Anyway, my first love was advertising and all the rest of it. And I like having teams and people in that social side of it again. So, So I'm not complaining at all, but it is just... I couldn't have that and another day job now, I don't think. I don't think I could manage all those things.
0: Can I talk to you on this about becoming a sort of an author brand? Because, I mean, obviously you've written numbers of books. And so at some point you get that lovely thing where a reader buys one book and then goes, oh my God, this is brilliant. I'm going to buy another two, three, four, five, which is how I read. So I have discovered an author and then I'm like, oh, I love this author. And for a year, that's all I'll read. Um, so how do you go about kind of building up that readership, interacting with those readers and people knowing, oh, OK, thank God we've got a new adult parks out. That's what I'm going to read. I'm excited for it.
1: I think I've been quite tricky to brand. I feel for my <laughs> publishers. God love them because I love my readers and I hope my readers see the real me very honestly and easily. They see me on, you know, we've talked about social media, they see me there. There's a lot of interviews that people can, you know, access. And I kind of wear my heart on my sleeve. So certain years of my careers have been easier or harder or certain years of my life have been emotionally easier or harder. And I've talked about those in the press and in interviews and and people have sort of come with me. So I think people know me as a person and think, oh, she's quite sweet and quite lovely. And, you know, but I don't think they know what they're getting when they get my books. <laughs> because um, I started off with, you know, commercial women's fiction writing about relationships and uh, writing about friendships and romantic relationships and siblings and parents and that kind of thing. And then I just switched up. I like you know quite far in, and <laughs> always getting top tens. And really, the sensible thing to do was to, to stick with that because it was doing really well, and people understood it. And 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 at that point, really did think of me as a brand and knew what they were getting. And suddenly I said, ta-da, I want to write a book about World War I. In fact, I want to write a couple of books about World War I. <laughs> Bear with, um, I'm blessed, my lovely, amazing readers. The vast majority, not all, because some people really just said, you know, I don't do historical, I don't read it, I can't get it. But a lot kind of jumped on, you know, stayed with me. And a lot jumped on board at that point and said, well, I wouldn't read contemporary women's fiction, but I want to read historical Anyway, then when I finished those, after writing about wars and mass destruction and killing 750,000 men before breakfast, which isn't me personally, that is literally what happened in the war, but because I had written about it in in a, you know, a serious way, I couldn't really just go back to contemporary relationship books. I felt I wasn't scratching the surface of what it really felt like to be human. And yet I thought psychological thrillers absolutely do that. You know, psychological thrillers are about relationships that really get mucked up, really go wrong. You know, decent, ordinary people that are living their best lives and trying super hard to be good people do horrendous things to each other. That is sadly the truth of the world. They are in the minority. You know, when we read the papers, we would think that they're everywhere. These people, they're not They are. That's why they make the papers, because they're the minority. But that's the kind of characters I suddenly felt really drawn to and really wanted to write about. So sort of the last six or seven books have been these psychological thrillers, which have been the most successful, actually. That's when I started to get number ones. I think my audience broadened out to include men as well. Maybe the historical did that a bit too. Um, but men are quite resistant to reading books about relationships, which is probably why, on the whole, they're not great at them. Relationships. If
0: is. only they had read that. I know!
1: If great only. sweeping statement, which I know I'll get loads of complaints <laughs> about. And I am saying it tongue-in-cheek. I am aware there are a lot of men that are really good at relationships. Bless your hearts, everyone
0: uh-huh.
1: However... Communication and all the rest of it does. And empathy, a lot of that comes from reading. And women tend to read more fiction than men. And therefore, we live more lives than men. And we are able to communicate and empathize. But men seem quite comfortable, as well as obviously women, um, with the psychological thriller (laughs) genre. And so switching it to that has meant my brand has really... God love the the people that have to design my covers. They're kind of going right. We really want all your readers to come with you that have grown up with you for twenty years, but we're also (laughs) attracting new people. We're also saying you don't write the kind of things you used to write, but you're still you. I'm like, good luck with that. Put that in a title and cover. Yeah, and and I think if I was honest about my brand, I think the thing that is. Solid that has been all the way through every book, whether you're reading a romantic comedy, um, women's commercial fiction, one of my historicals, or now one of my psychological thrillers. I like to think my characters as somebody you do want to get to know. Even if you're vaguely horrified by them, which is the latter books, you are vaguely horrified by some of the people and their actions, you're still fascinated by them. Where I think in the earlier books, you're more likely to think, I not only want to get to know you, I want you to be my best friend and I'm rooting for you. I think in the later books, you're sort of gasping and going, I can't believe you've done that, but I kind of still want you to get away with it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so, I mean, in both of you, the book's about, we meet this woman, she's a stepmom She's a management consultant, actually. I drew on knowing what a life of a management consultant's like (laughs) and how brutal that is and how much work is involved. Um, But also the buzz of it and all that sort of thing. And she goes, she's just an ordinary mum that goes to work one day and then doesn't come home. She goes missing. And obviously her family are devastated. And round the corner there's another woman and she doesn't work. She lives with a slightly younger, very sexy, wealthy um, husband. And I think I've put a lot of kind of... um, fantasy into that woman I was yeah. like I want your life She's I want a great this life. life yeah she has a great life <laughs> but she also goes missing and on paper they shouldn't be connected but the DC in charge of the case believes they are And obviously because it's a book they are and why have these two women gone missing have they run away from something have they run towards something uh, do they know each other where are they all those sort of things and neither of them turn out to be 100% the kind of person you'd want to be best friends with but I think you'd want them at your dinner party to have a little chat to because they you want to probe them um, and you want to know what's going on in their minds so I think I think that's my brand you want to get to know my characters
0: well it's really interesting you say that particularly about both of you which we will say is out in hardback now and is a brilliant Christmas present if you know somebody who likes to spend their boxing day curled up with a good book perfect Christmas present and out in January in paperback is that right that's right exactly right thank you and also we should say that if you buy the audiobook you do get bonus me and Adele on interview at the end of it that is so true yes (laughs) don't do that Um, that. but the thing that's really interesting to me when you talked about you wanting to have those characters over to a dinner party is that When I think about the work you do before you start writing, interviewing your characters, when you were interviewing those characters, did they tell you the story or did you know the story of them before and then you interviewed them about it? They surprised me.
1: Which makes me sound
0: bonkers. But also it's the
1: fun of it. You know, they do surprise me because I sort of think, oh, you're going to be the friend. You know, in other books I've written, I might think, oh, you're going to be the friend and you'll be really supportive. And she'll say to me, I don't really like her. I've always been a bit (laughs) jealous of her. I don't know how supportive I can be in this situation. (laughs) You think, oh, okay, but that makes you more interesting. Um, But not quite what I wanted from my supportive character. I don't know. So they do have, they kick Back a bit, and certainly, I have characters that I think, oh, I only will have these in three or four chapters, and then as I'm writing them, I think, no, you, you've got a great tone of voice. You're very funny or feisty. My readers will definitely want to get to know you more. I want to get to know you more, and and so you might have a bigger a role, and I will find more more for you, more place and space for you. So they do have. A heart and a voice of their own that sort of takes over. I'm quite often seen, and it's so odd. I'm seen mumbling to myself as I walk down the street. <laughs> I'm so glad that now people do that on the phones that they just assume I'm on my phone or something, but it is actually me just playing out scenes in my head and then fighting. Um, and sometimes I will be talking to my family and sort of drift off. My husband will kind of click in front of my eyes and go where did you go where did you go and I'm like I'm just thinking about you know I have the life I live and the life that I live in my head on a constant basis yeah
0: I find it very reassuring that you say you mumble to yourself as you're walking because I do that too and my best friend always says like Harriet people are going to think that you are genuinely the odd woman walking down the street you have to stop it I'm like I can't I know but also, there's too much I'm, going on up there exactly and
1: I was <laughs> not sure I'm too worried about being the odd woman I think I'm okay with that I think yeah. um there's room for oddity yeah I think there are certain things that because I do live in my own head and with my characters who I you know I'm, I'm innocent and I'm present and all the rest of it so I think I do get less able to mix with real people and function properly because I realize that I say things everyone else around the table is looking at me and I think oh step too far question I probably should have only asked my characters but not a real life human being you know your job is to interview people so I suspect when you're out and about you probe a bit more than most and I don't know that's not too bad is it if the if the intention is always
0: coming from kindness how, how bad is that I mean, most of the time it's coming from kindness. 98% of the time. <laughs> um, That's a good um, percentage. It's fine. What do you know about writing now that perhaps you wish you'd known when you started out?
1: I think the thing about cutting is okay. I used to literally... That was a lot harder for me in the early days about editing down. and I, And I think I was always sure it was going to go wrong. I mean, I spent the first 10 years of my career thinking, well, this might not work. And everyone was going, oh, but it is though, isn't it? Because you're already doing 10 years. That That's a career. That's already a career. Even if it stops tomorrow, it has worked. Um, and so every book I started, I would go in with the mindset of a set of, this is the one that's not going to work. And this is the one that won't make the top 10. Because, I mean, it is the most amazing record to have that every one of my books have been in one format or the other being in in whether it's hardback or paperback I've been in the top 10 That's Sunday amazing. Times top 10 and um and that is amazing but it became terrifying as well I got to a stage about book sort of 10 that I was sh- sure people were just going to get bored of me and and whether that was my publishers or my readers or people were just going to forget me and, and, and there were authors that Uh, 10 years in their careers kind of stopped and and so it wasn't even an irrational fear it was actually based in fact and looking around and the experiences I was seeing um so actually as it's happened it has all been okay I have continued to challenge myself probably because I changed genres and probably because I'm quite ruthless and hard on myself um I've 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 stayed around, I'm still kicking, I'm still singing and I would like to have known that. So now when I get to the point of the book where I lose confidence and think I'm rubbish and think everyone's going to think this is the book that's no good, I will take half an hour and it will only be half an hour where I think that and then I think you don't mean that to you, you know you will solve this. The less time you spend on screwing up your head telling yourself you're rubbish and the more time you spend on saying to your head you always solve this the better. And so now I am at that latter stage, but I wasn't always there. I used to get into such knots and, and just tell myself I was going to fail, which can I say, don't tell yourself you're going to fail because A, you're not. <laughs> A, B, it doesn't help anyone, does it? Um, so then I when I started to learn to tell myself it was going to be okay and I would solve it and I had got that experience and I had I had got good enough to fix this and people needed to be. People were confident in in my abilities. Therefore, I needed to be confident in my abilities. That was a big turning point for me in my career. Made it much easier the whole process.
0: That's really interesting because I have obviously told myself that this is a terrible idea and I'm going to fail. About it. I'm at least once a day for the last three months. But also, I've hit a point now where I am in the kind of. The workmanlike aspect of writing. So the kind of the point where you realise that it's not just writing brilliant scenes and fantastic dialogue and deep emotional moments. There's also the moment where you just have to get your character from point A to point B.
1: There's a and lot they of stock, to, isn't there?
0: Yeah, they've just got a walk there. You're gonna talk about that. Um, so
1: first thing, you are not going to fail. You are going to write a really great book that I will be excited to read. And I want you to hear that when you're writing, because Second thing, you thinking you're going to fail is so normal, so great for you, because (laughs) if you went into this going, yeah, I'm actually going to be a number one bestseller and I'm an absolute genius, you'd probably be unbearable. So, um, you know, so it's lovely that you have got that humility and, and I think a lot of great pros and comes from people's insecurities and vulnerabilities and, flaws and understanding that about themselves so I think it is part of the process to feel you're going to fail and to feel vulnerable I've mentioned that word a few times because I think it is being exposed is all that you have to do to be a writer you have to expose yourself (laughs) and feel rotten quite a lot of the time to deliver something good and real and honest so you're not going to fail you're going to be brilliant um, but yeah, the slog thing, well done for identifying it because it, it means you've, you will have pace in your book and you will know that there are parts where you do just need to move them from A to B and everyone just needs to relax a bit and process a bit because that's true in real life and you're writing a reflection of real life. We can't all bounce from one magical moment to the next, much as I would like that world. I really would like that world <laughs> I, I find like the day-to-day normal stuff quite tricky um but it is our world you know that that is life that is living and we only appreciate the highs and the lows because there's quite a lot of mid levels and in a book you need to get you need to get your head around you write some mid levels you might cut them all out at the end but you need to keep your characters calm and move as you say walk them from A to b or worry about where if you've got a cat a kid in the ca- book you know oh, where's the child care? yeah exactly <laughs> where are these children are they just feral you know i always think that on um tv shows you know like where they suddenly the characters suddenly had babies and the babies were never on the set or you know in the
0: show and you'd be like
1: where are your kids who's doing the cloud minding
0: yeah um finally i ask everyone this what is one piece of advice that you would want kind of early writers, those starting out to know, what would you tell them?
1: I think the first piece of advice and the sort of most crucial is you need to take yourself seriously and your writing seriously before anyone else can. So I meet endless people who feel quite apologetic that they are writing. They 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 want to do it, but they don't want to admit they want to do it or they, they don't have the support around them perhaps from friends or family or partners that are going to go, yeah, God, you're amazing. Go and do it. You could write a load of funny stuff. They have people around them kind of saying, why would you be a writer? And that's so wrong. You know, we wouldn't do it with anything else. If somebody said, oh, I want to learn to play the piano, nobody would say, well, you can't play the piano. People would go, good, go for lessons. Go and learn how to, how to play the piano. Um. So the, re- the with writing, you need to take yourself seriously. And the easiest way to do that is to carve out time to write. So I hear a lot of people say, I want to write a book. I'm going to write a book. I can't find time. That's what they tell me. And I think, you know, I wrote when I had a full-time massive job. I wrote when I was a single mum. I wrote when I, you know, you had a tiny baby at six weeks old. I wrote, you can find time. Even if it's locking yourself in the loo for 20 minutes and telling everyone you've got irritable bowel. Because... That's better. If you get that 20 minutes with your notebook and the family leave you alone, um, then do it. But you can't do that unless you think you deserve that 20 minutes. Um, And many people don't think they do. So I always go, I always say to people, go on, write 20 minutes a day for a month. And if you can do that, you will then find in the second month you're writing 40 minutes. And then eventually you will find you can do an hour a day and that is taking yourself seriously and that will get the book written.
0: Thank you. Brilliant and wise advice as ever. Adele, thank you so much for coming on and talking to me. Uh, Both of you is out now and it's so good. It's honestly so enjoyable. You won't put it down. Do yourself a and go get it. I love that. It's a pleasure talking to you as (laughs) ever. I love it. (laughs) That was Adele Parks and her new book, Both of You, is out now and it's a cracking good read. If you've been inspired by Adele and want to get cracking, then I think you're going to enjoy this week's Creative Confidence Exercise. We are going to be interviewing a character. Yep, just like Adele does. You might already have a character you're working with in your writing or creative work, and you can use them if you wish. But if you don't have a specific character in mind, then I want you to either pick up a magazine, find an image of a person that you're drawn to and use them as your starting point, or have a flick through your social media and find an image or look around for a painting you might have in your house. Anything with a person in that you can take as your character. Ideally you want somebody that you don't already know. Once you've got a picture of the person you're going to be interviewing, here are the questions I want you to ask them. First up, what is their ideal Sunday morning? What is their ideal Sunday morning? Who do they call when they're really upset? What would they do if they found a £10 note on the street? If they kept it, what would they spend it on? What is their biggest fear? What are they like at a party? That's it. Five simple questions. You can add some more if you really get into it. I'd love to see your answers to these. Create that character, learn about them, and then maybe share it with me. If you want to share it on Instagram, you can tag me at Harriet Minter. I will do the same for one of my characters. I haven't decided which one yet, so it will be good practice for me. I'd love to see what you get up to. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's show, I really do ask you to please let other people know about it. Share it on your social media, send it to a friend, or just leave us a nice review. It's so gorgeous when people do that. It's a real boost to my own creativity. See you next week. Thank you.